Okay, um, good evening everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I think we've been lucky with the weather having a bit of respite from the rain yesterday. Um, so uh, we'd like to welcome to the Middle East Centre Idel Klaisi, who is um, uh, launching the paper on the Iraqi media, a fragmented landscape, barriers to independent media in Iraq. Um, Ida is uh, well known to the Middle East Centre now. She's been one of the um, small grants recipients on the Conflict Research Programme, um, which is a three-year uh, programme which is sponsored by DFID, looking into drivers and counters to conflict in uh, the Middle East. Um, and uh, tonight, Ida is going to be speaking for about 30 minutes, leaving um, some good amount of time for some audience discussion of her paper. Um, so just some kind of housekeeping. Uh, I'm Jess Watkins. I also work at the Middle East Centre on the Conflict Research Programme. Um, so uh, if you would just like to make sure that your phones are silenced for the talk, um, which is being recorded tonight, um, and uh, so that you're aware a rose at the back might be taking some photos, so if you strongly object to being in any photos, just raise your hand and let her know. Um, and if you'd like to tweet about tonight's event, then the hashtag is um, hashtag LSE Iraq. Um, so uh, Ida, just to introduce her, she's a media reform advisor. She's worked extensively on media development projects across the MENA region, including in Iraq, Palestine, and Jordan. She currently works on a number of projects focusing on issues related to youth engagement in media, media and conflict, social cohesion, and the media and the development of independent media platforms in, in the MENA, amongst other things. She's completing a PhD at the School of Oriental, Study, Oriental and Africa Studies, University of London, where she also teaches on a part-time basis on the performance of the media in conflict using Iraq as a case study. Ida is also a program consultant for the Ethical Journalism Network and a keen promoter of ethical val values in journalistic practice and media governance. So um, I'll hand over to Ida. Thanks, Jess. Um, so I'm going to start um, by explaining the background um, to this paper. Um, I began um, on this project um, being inspired by a few different small pockets of um, media. We call it media civicness, basically. There were some great examples coming out of Iraq of people who were doing some really interesting, positive, new, innovative work. I've, I've picked a couple of them just to give you an idea. You might have heard of some of them. One of them is the blog Musul Eye. Um, I don't know if any of you have come across it. Um, but this was a young man, a historian, based at the University of Mosul, who set up a blog in 2014, about two or three weeks after ISIS entered into Mosul. Um, it's called Musul Eye. Um, he began reporting on events um, undercover. No one knew his identity. Um, for four years up until the liberation of Mosul um, by Iraqi forces from, from ISIS. Um, he then moved to Paris, he got political asylum, moved to Paris, and his identity was made, um, was made clear and made evident, um, but the blog still lives on. Um, it's a it was a really, really interesting project, because at the time, not only, obviously, were the Islamic State cracking down on, on any kind of external communication, um, there was also hardly any internet, and it was very difficult to kind of actually go out and, and film or, or take pictures in that context. So for him to actually produce something like this was very interesting. Uh, and I was quite inspired. I interviewed him for um, a conference that I was working on actually in Mosul last year. Um, he didn't come back to Iraq. He can no longer go back to Iraq. But he's, he's a very inspiring character. He's now doing his PhD at the Sorbonne, and, and he was... 
he, he never worked in journalism, but he was really interested in how he might be able to use a media platform to um, inform um, Iraqis living in Mosul on ways that they can remain safe. So it was, a, it was a really interesting premise, basically, a very simple premise for how media can actually um, work um, to support the public um, or in the favor of the public. The second um, inspiration that I had um, was actually um, a young journalist who works for Biladi TV, who are based in Baghdad, um, and they're actually um, funded by um, the Jaffari, uh, Ibrahim Jaffari party. Um, so they are a partisan media, um, but this uh, journalist, Asad al-Zazali, um, produced um, two um, very, very um, nuanced reports exposing corruption from within the Iraqi government. He then went on, and he's lived in Iraq all of his life, trained in Iraq all of his life, went to university in Iraq and didn't study journalism. Um, he, uh, in 2017, he won um, the Global Shining Light Award, which is a global prize for investigative journalism, um, which, again, I was, I was quite surprised by. I was quite um, taken aback that an Iraqi journalist could win such a coveted prize. And I've got a small clip, if I can actually work out how to use this, uh, of him uh, talking about um, winning the prize and... and and how he conducted a piece of investigative journalism in difficult conditions, and the difficult conditions that journalists operate in in Iraq. They are all available on YouTube, actually, um, both of his investigations. Um, they appeared on Biladi TV, but they've also been used by Al Jazeera, Deutsche Welle. Uh, I believe BBC have also picked up on one of the, one of the um, pieces because he's very involved with the Arab Reporters for Investigative Journalism Network who provide a lot of funding for this type of work, this type of investigative work. Um, so it was, it was Esad and Musal I, Omar Muhammad, that made me start to think about what was driving these positive examples um, of media or journalists that are, were operating independently in a very, very partisan uh, media landscape and in the very, very difficult political and social and cultural circumstances that we see in Iraq. So I, I undertook this research project initially um, with a view um, to research um, drivers of positive journalism. <laughs> uh, so I went to Iraq um, for three weeks uh, in, at the uh, end of January uh, into February, and I interviewed over 50 uh, small media platforms, journalists who are working um, as freelancers or independently. Um, I interviewed some of the bigger players as well, and I'll talk a bit more about that as I go through and talk about the sort of context for Iraqi media. Um, and. Um, what came became apparent to me, and I actually sat in a few newsrooms as well um, and watched, um, in particular, one story be produced, um, uh, which was interviews with um, children in um, some of the ISIS detention camps um, around Sinjar and kind of uh, Mosul area. Um, so, um, so my, 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 original, <laughs> my original premise was really to come back with a really positive story from Iraq. Um, three weeks later, um, I think what was most apparent to me were that there were challenges to this, and that this was this was uh, that this this premise was actually was flawed, um, and that's what this paper deals with. This paper deals with, in a way, it's a celebration of some of the small victories for journalism in Iraq, um, but 
more than anything, I think it, it tries to deal with some of the sort of the real structural challenges that are that are sort of stopping um, the Iraqi media or independent media um, uh, facilitating them to be able to flourish in Iraq. So I'm going to look at three um, three different areas. I'm going to look at um, the history and context of Iraqi media very briefly. I'm also then going to look, and this was something that struck me when I was in Iraq. I'm also then going to look at um, the, uh, some of the kind of current trends and debates um, that are surrounding the media landscape as a whole. Um, because what also struck me when I, when I was in Iraq is that actually some of the issues that the Iraqi media are facing are very similar to the issues that we're actually facing in the media industry um, globally, in the UK, in Europe, and in the States in particular. And there are a lot of really interesting international initiatives that actually, one of the recommendations that I make in the paper that I feel um, that Iraqi media should be trying to get involved in if we start, if we really want to sort of chat, look at dealing with some of the barriers to independent media. Um, and then finally, I am going to look at um, the sort of key barriers and um, where I feel Iraqi media practitioners can do better, how I feel the donor um, landscape can contribute to that, and where I feel there are some structural challenges and changes that need to be addressed as well. So they're the kind of three areas I'm going to look at. Um, I also just wanted to... Um, before I go into that, just again to, to provide a bit of context. So when I went to Baghdad at the end of January, beginning of February, it was the first time I'd been in two years. And it was a completely different Baghdad, the Baghdad that I was in two years ago. And I'd been going backwards and forwards for about four years because I was working on a media development project with BBC Media Action in Baghdad. Um, but this was a completely different Baghdad. Um, uh, as most of you know, um, the, the city has opened up. Um, they've taken down some of the barriers, the physical barriers um, within the city. Um, people were going out. There were um, art exhibitions going on. There were civil society um, activities. So while I was there, there was a huge bike ride up and down one of the main streets in Baghdad, Abu Nawaz Street, um, which had men and women cycling up and down the street. And, that, and the reason I'm telling you this is because this was all happening um, within a context where the media hadn't moved on at all. So there were young people, and I've got, I've got a slide actually just to show you. There, I, I visited in Karada now, which is one of the kind of main areas in downtown Baghdad, and it is, you know, one of the sort of more happening, if you like, areas. There are art galleries with, with sort of, you know, new, exciting, innovative art. Um, there, the, this uh, one is quite a famous uh, cafe that um, artists and actors and uh, writers often go to in Baghdad. For many, many years, people stopped going for security reasons. People were sat outside drinking coffee. You know, it was a really different Baghdad. Um, there's also, you've probably, many of you might have heard about this whole um, hipster hair movement that's going on in Baghdad, which is this big quiff thing. So, again, I just, I just wanted to put it into context that this was all happening, and yet I was going to meet with media people, and it felt like the media landscape hadn't moved on. So... When I, when, I, when I look at studying or when we talk about um, studying the media landscape in Baghdad, we really talk about um, what happened since 2003. Um, the, the practice of journalism um, in Iraq, I think, is still very much informed by um, practice that was developed under the Ba'ath regime. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the issues. Psychologically, I think um, journalism and journalists haven't moved on. 
Um, but if we think about the, the landscape and the structural environment as a whole, um, we think about a sort of post-2003 landscape. The Coalition Provision Authority, um, as some of its many orders, um, also... Um, uh, uh, instigated two orders that had a, a huge impact on the media landscape. One was Order um, 66, which developed um, an independent um, public service broadcaster in the blueprint of the BBC, which is the Iraqi media network. Iraqi is the main channel, for those of you who watch Iraqi television. Um, and Order 65 um, created an independent regulatory body for the media, um, the um, Communications and Media Commission, Again, in the uh, blueprint of Ofcom, which is the media regulatory body in the UK. Um, and for the first time um, in Iraqi history, there was uh, a landscape whereby a private media were allowed to apply for licenses um, and open, anyone was allowed to open a media um, outlet. By 2004, I think that the, the figure was there were over 100 television stations um, in Iraq because anyone who had a bit of cash was basically opening up a media, uh, a, a TV station and newspapers to a certain extent as well, although that's less so now. We're now we now have 54 television stations in Iraq, so still quite a lot of t television stations for a country such as Iraq, but not as many as 100, which is good. Um, the issue with, with, with um, Order 65 was that it didn't really think about the sort of nuance of the Iraqi um, political landscape and the fact that actually political pluralism was in its infancy. Um, so to allow, and, and even in the UK, Ofcom has very, very strict criteria um, that allow people to, to apply for a license to open up a radio or a television station. You have to be contributing something unique and different to the public sphere. You have to, um, it has to be completely separate from any political or commercial interests. Um, so while you're obviously in the UK allowed to take advertising, um, that can't be political, political advertising or any political sponsorship. Um, you d a politician can definitely not open a television station in most countries outside of um, the MENA and African regions. Um, in Iraq, that was not the case. So what we saw then was a very sort of highly political media landscape evolve. Um, uh, private broadcast media were financed by political parties or political technocrats. And this, this word kept, keeps getting bandied around at the moment, actually, um, with regards to um, Iraqi politics. And in fact, an Iraqi technocrat tends to be very closely linked to a political party. Um, so that's the case with the media as well, actually. Um, it, 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 it was a very, so even though a sort of diverse public sphere or diverse media landscape did emerge, because there was no sort of proper regulation to, 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 to manage it, um, there was very little to ensure that all of Iraq's different groups and minorities were actually catered for. Um, so what we had was, um, a, a public sphere, and this is newspapers, but I'm talking television very, very specifically, um, that very much reflected the political sphere. And that <coughs> defines, I think, the Iraqi media landscape today, this problem with the fact that the media sphere is very much reflective. The media landscape very much reflects what's happening in politics. Um, it's also worth pointing out that around 
2003, 2004, um, that's when donor engagement in, in media development um, also began in Iraq. And there were a number of, of interesting projects, actually, um, that were funded by um, the Foreign Office um, in the UK. Um, there was some US money that went in, but not so much to media development. Um, Thomson Reuters, um, together with the EU, launched a um, independent news agency um, called Aswat al-Iraq, um, which was successful in its own right, but again, um, due to lack of funding, this is one of the issues with, with, with um, development, which I talk about in, in the project, is the sort of short-termism, if you like, of, of development money, and that's, that's, that's a broader issue um, with development that I won't go into, but what happens in, in, in the case of the media is that you'll have uh, a platform or a channel that might run for two or three years, and then because um, that development money is not supported or sustained by economic development or um, innovative or developing innovative business models, those platforms tend to close down and that's, that's a real issue. Forwarding on, um, and actually we were at a workshop here on, uh, on uh, Friday where um, uh, someone used the term the long 2003 to describe um, the sort of post-war period uh, up until the sort of sectarian um, conflict really reached its its sort of height, and that that again had a huge impact on on the the media uh, landscape in Iraq. Um, journalists became very scared. Um, they they stopped bylining themselves because they were worried of reprisals, and this is a this is a practice that's carrying on now. You see, all of these practices have become sort of endemic in the way the media are now functioning in Iraq and it's a real issue actually um, because the conflict was so sectarian and so split um, between Sunni and Shia what also happened was that newspapers that were associated with a Sunni narrative were no longer able to distribute in, in what were considered Shia areas and vice versa so this um, this saw the sort of Sunni Shia split become even more um, uh, it became solidified, if you like, basically, within the media landscape even more. Um, again, because people were too scared to go out in the evenings, front page news would close by the afternoon. Um, so the next day's newspaper was old news because obviously events were happening at such a high speed. Um, so again, the media then became slightly irrelevant. It became, it became less news-driven. Um, and this is around the time again where we see the rise of online platforms and social media. And it's something that I'll talk about in a minute, actually, um, which is a global issue of um, the rise of social media as a news source above um, official or journalistic sources, as we've seen. Um, as uh, many media moved to Erbil as well, actually, so left Baghdad and moved to Erbil um, because it was safer for them to function from there. We're seeing a return now, actually, of some of the media to Baghdad, but let's see what happens in the next few years. This was another thing that came up really strongly when I was in Iraq, is that there's the sense of temporality, I think, was, was really, really sort of heightened now. So whenever I'd, I'd, I'd sort of talk to anyone about, you know, the changes that were happening or the openness um, that people might be sort of experiencing or... Or, or, or feeling um, in Iraq at the moment, they were like, yeah, but we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And that there's a real sense that everything's temporary and that everything could change. Um, and it was around the time of sectarian conflict that really um, political parties really began to interfere with the media and start to offer financing um, for the media um, 
to produce editorials, um, if you like, basically. Um, and again, this is a practice um, that has now become, and, it, and it's born out of, of practices from Ba'athist Iraq, um, but it's now really become sort of endemic in the way that the, um, the, media, pra the media are practicing. So fast forward to the Iraqi media landscape today. Um, as, as I mentioned before, it's, it really is reflecting the, um, the political landscape. There are um, ongoing threats to journalists. These might not be coming from government anymore, but they are coming from other paramilitary or sort of non-state actors. Um, and we can talk about that in questions because I probably won't have time to talk about that in great detail now. The corruption that is afflicting the Iraqi political system is afflicting um, the Iraqi media landscape. And an and audience have lost, uh, they've lost trust in the media. Um, if you, I did some uh, focus group research with the Iraqi audiences back in October of last year, again for BBC Media Action, the report's available online. It's actually really interesting. The content that everybody is watching across all ages, across rural, urban, if we want to talk about Shia Sunni, I'm not sure that's as relevant now, but Kurdish, Iraq, is it, the way people are getting their news, other than through social media, is through satire and drama, which is really interesting, actually. Um, and you're probably, for those of you who are familiar with Iraq, you're probably familiar with shows like uh, Bashir Show and Wilayat um, Batikh is another one now. There's a few different um, of these sort of uh, political satires um, that are really um, starting to sort of take audiences away from news. Um, and there's, a, there's an issue with that. It's, it's an interesting trend, but there is also an issue with that because it's not news. <laughs> it's, it's political satire. Um, there were also, um, actually, I think maybe I have another picture to, to keep. Yeah, so I did some focus groups as well when I was there with um, university students at the Baghdad University Media School. Um, because, again, what I wanted to understand was I had, I had a really interesting interaction with a young fixer, actually, who works for a lot of sort of global South or Western media. Uh, she's 18 years old. Um, she's really active in civil society. Um, uh, she's desperate to leave Iraq and waiting for her visa to come so she can go to Germany, but that's a different story altogether. Yeah. But I remember talking to her, and she works as a fixer for, for international media, and I remember talking to her about journalism, whether she'd be interested in a career in media, and she said to, she said to me, hand on heart, none of my group of friends are interested in the media. Um, we don't trust it. It's not a career that's respected in Iraq. And I think this is a big issue, actually, um, in terms of um, thinking about hearing new voices um, in an independent media um, and innovative new types of journalism when we're seeing civil society initiatives flourish, um, but not on the media um, side. I think that, that this is a real issue. Um, uh, when I did the focus groups at Baghdad University Media School, I would say, so there were probably, there was probably about sort of 20 people um, a couple of times. Uh, I would say 75% of those students in the media school were doing public relations. They weren't actually studying journalism. Um, and the ones that were, and who were doing PhDs and master's degrees in, in media and journalism, were doing so just in order to get a higher salary in another job, not to actually work in media. And there were, this was a real issue. There was a real, there's a real disconnect as well between the media industry and universities and media schools. Um, there's a sense from journalists that um, 
academics have never worked in journalism, so they don't understand the issues, and, and vice versa. There's a sense in academia that a job in journalism is not, in Iraq is not one worth getting. Um, I realise I'm running out of time, actually, so I'm just I'm going to I'm going to quickly um, just touch on um, a couple of things I didn't put in the paper, actually. But one thing that that, that because the media is reflecting the political sphere in Iraq, there were a couple of positive um, points that came out um, during my trip. One is that this idea, this sort of federalism narrative of sort of, you know, a, a, a Kurdish and an Arab Iraq or a Kurdish and a Sunni and a Shia Iraq is completely gone from the media. That was something that was quite dominant in the, in the media only a few years ago. That's gone, as has the ethno-sectarian narrative. So you no longer see that in the Iraqi media. So these, these are good things because you're no longer seeing that in the political sphere. What's also really interesting is that, you know, I would say sort of five, six years ago, the sort of the, the word democracy was considered a very dirty word in the Iraqi media, sort of striving towards dem democracy um, was not seen to be a good thing. That's changed as well. And then uh, very much on the, on the media side, um, there is a move away um, from including overly violent um, images or graphics now in the media. And again, I think that is a reflection of um, the intent or um, the hopes of the, of the political class. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll finish off, um, and we can talk about recommendations maybe in the questions because I realise I've, I've run out of time. I'll finish off by saying that one of the things that really also struck me when I was in um, Iraq this time is that so many of the conversations I was having with media owners and, and, and media practitioners and journalists were very similar to the conversations that... Um, we're having in the UK, in Europe, and in um, the sort of global north, if you like, as well as the global south, around how we can support independent media and independent media content. Um, this issue of trust and public trust in the media, which came up obviously very strongly in Iraq, is also a big issue across the board. And there's lots, of, I, I mentioned some of them in the paper actually, there's lots of different barometers of public trust in the media that are showing that the media are one of the least trusted public institutions um, that, we, that we come across. Um, also, this idea of a media capture this phenomena that the media can be captured by political narratives or or or, or sort of political parties um, is something that we're talking about now across the board. Um, I went to a, a conference uh, in November last year in Berlin um, where the sort of concept of media capture and uh, media being captured by politics and political narratives was, was actually talked about across the board from Central Eastern Europe to Western Europe as well. So, you know, these, these issues... Are, are sort of at the forefront, and and the and, and the the issue with technology and and the sort of tech giants um, and regulation. These are all huge issues that are being discussed on a global level. Uh, the question of how we fund media um, in the UK. Um, if you, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Cairn Cross Review. Um, but the, gov the UK government commissioned a huge review into the funding of independent media in the UK. Um, and Columbia Journalism School are doing a very similar project in the US of A as well. So, so these, these issues are not, are not, you know, while Iraq has its very own very specific particular issues, there are some debates and some, 
some trends that I think um, the Iraqi media um, and Iraqi policymakers who are interested in media development and the donor um, community who are working on media development in Iraq can start to connect with some of their international counterparts on. I got, I got really tired, and, and again, any of you who have worked in Iraq, I got really tired of this sort of like, this would never happen in Iraq you know a kind of narrative and it's and it's it's a sort of you know this this sort of you know um you know we could never do this in iraq this is not possible in iraq and it's like actually you know these are conversations that are happening on a global scale and if you become part of those conversations then perhaps there might be some chance of thinking innovatively um, about sort of new ways of funding content new business models new forms of content um all of those things and I'll leave it, I'll leave it there and hand over to Jess. Thank you, thanks so much. Um, so, I, you've added so much to the paper already, So, and you really brought it to life with um, just the, kind of seeing your experiences in, in Baghdad and um, doing um, focus groups with um, students, and it, it brings a lot to the analysis in the paper, so I hope that you'll uh, all have a chance to read that as well. Um, before we open up to some uh, questions, there are a few points that maybe I could try and tease out slightly more. Um, so I know that you set out with the kind of objective of looking for examples of, of civicness um, in the Iraqi media, by which we kind of mean the media that fulfills the function that we like to think of being um, representative of democra democratic societies, and that is providing um, a diverse combination of un uh, unbiased and critical um, news and information, um, and promoting the public interest instead of the, the state interest. And that for various reasons, despite the, the examples that you cited, that you didn't really find that. Um, so against set against that, um, you know, 16 years after the regime changed in 2003, we we have what is uh, on on many levels is a is a sort of democracy in Iraq, and um, it, to the extent that there are competitive elections, um, and I guess the fact that um, the media, as well as other parts of civil society, uh, don't reflect that that kind of um, the measures of democracy in the same way. Um, so it really kind of points to this dysfunctionality in the, in the system. Um, and it seems like a sort of chicken and egg uh, situation where um, the media should be holding the political system to account but um, and increasing public access to information, but so long as it is dominated by political partisanship, it's, it's unable to do so. So I wondered, like, to, to what extent, you know, you said that the media really does reflect the political environment is it ever possible to break free from that um, reality? And then, you know, can the, can the media lead the way in some spheres, or is it always going to be following behind the political developments? Um, you another point that you really you drew out was the um, the uh, I guess one one of the really engaging uh, aspects was that it really shows that you're a practitioner as well as an academic. Um, so even though you kind of paint in some respects quite a bleak picture of of the reality of the Iraqi media, you also you're not at all defeatist about it, and you do come across with um, some very um, uh, productive or. Um, recommendations that I know tie into your own work um, as a practitioner. Uh, so, and just to pick up on one of the recommendations, um, 
you you talk about uh, the need to improve teaching um, and the quality of teaching. And, and one of the points in the paper that is very interesting, I found, was the way that uh, at the moment uh, journalism really isn't ranked or rated um, by the, the state education system. So I wondered, you know, in terms of practically implementing some changes, uh, what you have in mind and how you would get buy-in at a governmental level for, for, that, for that kind of work. So... Um, I, I'm, I could be quite greedy and to continue, but I'll just uh, see if you have any responses and I'll open it up to, to everyone else. Yeah, so I'll answer the second question first, actually, because, um, so yeah, with regards, so one of the recommendations that I make um, in the paper is that um, there, there needs to be some consideration um, for curriculum development um, in Iraq, um, uh, working um, closely with um, media schools, um, to update curriculum that really hasn't been updated properly since the 1980s. Um, so actually, we have... Uh, so I am following up this piece of work and that recommendation with a project on curriculum development with Baghdad University Media School. Um, we are... Um, I'm working closely with um, the dean of school there and one of the senior um, professors... Um, to um, develop a course that can actually be rolled out across the school, so not just to journalists, but to some of the public relations um, uh, uh, students as well, on um, ethical practice and ethics, and the ethics of, of, of sort of media and the ethics of sort of journalistic professionalism, if you like. Um, we're also, so we're going to develop a standalone model um, and then I'm going to go back. So I'm, I'm in Iraq next week actually for two weeks and we're, we're trying to meet with, there's a new Minister of Higher Education. Um, so we're trying to meet with him to talk about how, if we develop that module, how that can then be rolled out perhaps across other um, media schools um, in Iraq as well. Um, I think, I think to want to study journalism in, 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 in an Iraqi media school, there's two things. You need to feel like the curriculum is new and that it reflects um, trends of technology um, and that it reflects the Iraqi context. So, for example, there's nothing in the Iraqi curriculum that deals with um, conflict reporting. Um, so if you, if, you tr if you train as a journalist academically in Iraq, you will never study war reporting, conflict reporting, media in conflict, any theoretically or practically, um, which, is, which is really interesting for a country that has a long history of, of conflict. Um, similarly, there's very, very little um, in um, the journalism curriculum um, that um, focuses on digital media. Um, and online media and how that might differ for you as a practitioner. Again, they lack theoretically, um, but they also lack sort of practically. Um, so I think if there was a sense that that curriculum was being developed, um, and to be fair, I mean, curriculum in, in, in universities as a whole is not being developed in Iraq at the moment. There's very little money going into higher education. So media is not alone in that sense. Um, but yeah, so I think if there was a sense that there was, a, there was that kind of development of curriculum so that actually students felt as though they were learning um, skills um, and capacity that would allow them to practice 
um, professionally in Iraq, that would make a huge difference. Uh, one of the other big issues is that um, there's a sense that a lot of the... Uh, the academics have had no experience um, of working as practitioners uh, as journalists and, as journalists in Iraq. But again, that that's that's a problem across the board. We get that in the UK, um, teaching um, media at an academic level. Actually, the, there's a real divide um, between um, academic and, and sort of practical journalism, if you like. And then I think the other the, the other thing that's missing from curriculum, which I think could 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 start to shift the balance somewhat is um, this sort of concept of internships. So at the moment, if you study journalism or media in any media school or Iraqi university, um, you would have no opportunity to practice those skills in a work environment. Um, and there's, there, there isn't really even an understanding of the concept of internship. So again, as part of this curriculum development project with the, the um, University of Iraq Media School, we are going to try and um, set up uh, an internship program with, and this will also lead me to answering the second um, question, and I just remembered I have one more slide, um, with a new independent news organization um, that launched, I think in October last year, called NAS News. I don't know if anyone's come across it. Uh, yeah, um, so they're, they're an online TV platform who launched in Arabic initially, initially but now have a Kurdish uh, platform as well, um, which they were launching actually when I was there in February. Um, and they are also, I think, due to launch an English version of, of NAS News as well. I ha I, uh, we can't play any video, can we? Because I did have a, a short video um, to show from NAS News. They are producing some really interesting work. Um, they're... Um, they're, they're trying to produce some investigations. Um, they have an issue with funding. Um, they're currently funded by um, commercial contracts, which are very few and far between. I talk about that in the paper as well, actually, the lack of sort of commercial funding or the lack of independent commercial funding. They, they, they interestingly are exploring some new business models um, that are coming out of Lebanon, which is a kind of sort of uh, content syndication idea. So selling content or content swapping with different um, uh, media platforms, not just in the Middle East, but also they're starting to form partnerships. I think they've got a partnership again with Deutsche Welle. I think they've also got one with the New York Times. So they're starting to build partnerships with international news organizations that might want content from Iraq. And they're, they're talking about how that might become financially viable for them as well. But again, so this brings me on to the sort of, the, the sort of first question, um, which was um, NAS News are a positive example of an innovative uh, platform who are trying to do something different. Um, I met with NAS News, uh, two of their three, their three founders. Uh, one of them uh, is uh, Ziad Al-Ajili, you might have heard of him. He runs the Journalism Freedom Observatory. He was awarded the Reporter Sans Frontier um, Reporter of the Year Prize in 2007 for his work. Uh, the other one is Mushrak Abbas, he runs the Iraqi Media House, who uh, are a content monitoring um, NGO. Uh, they, they monitor media content, they do a lot of work around tackling hate speech um, in the Iraqi media. So they, you know, there are two stalwarts, <laughs> if you like, of, of, of the Iraqi media. And this is probably their 10th attempt <laughs> at setting up an independent media platform in some form or another. 
So you can see the issues here. These are not only is it their tenth attempt, and you know the other attempts haven't succeeded. It's the same voices. It's the same people. We're not. It's not. It, there's no. There's nothing new coming out. Um, and this is my issue. And I'm not. I'm not knocking this attempt. It's a great attempt, and they're producing some really interesting content. But what we're not seeing is are the new voices that we need really to lead the way if we want an independent media landscape to really flourish in Iraq. I also had a really interesting conversation with Ziad when I met with him. Um, when I said, you know, I was going through everything. And, and again, uh, and, uh, Jess mentioned, I, I'm very active in the ethical journalism network in the UK. And, I, and I'm a really strong believer in ethical values in journalism, actually, because I believe ethics, particularly in these types of contexts, um, provide a sort of... Uh, a sort of uh, 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 scope for professionalism, if you like. Um, it allows you to build trust with your readers um, um, and it allows you um, to um, defend yourself um, in, um, in times where you do get complaints. Um, if, you're, if you're adhering to ethics of accuracy, independence, impartiality, fairness and humanity, um, which are the kind of key ethics that we work towards. And I, I, said to, so I said to Ziad, I said, so do you have editorial? So they'd only been a few months um, running, and I said to them, so do you have editorial guidelines? Would you be able to share your editorial guidelines? And Ziad's gr he's, he's a great guy, and he said to me, he said, oh, we, don't, we don't need editorial guidelines. We know what we're doing. <laughs> you know, and again, this, this, these, these are the issues that, you know, that you sort of, you're coming across, I think, where, you know, on the one hand, media can lead the way. And actually, I work in media development, and we really believe that um, a landscape of media pluralism encourages political pluralism. Um, I know that, you know, political politicians think the other way around and that one follows the other way, but in the media development world, that's what we believe. We believe that supporting media development or media development initiatives that work will support stronger, better governance and stronger, better institutional structures. Um, and media can lead the way in doing that. But then you're, these, these are the kind of the sort of issues that then arise when you do end up sort of... Um, interacting with some of the independent media or sort of innovative platforms that are coming across. Mussel Eye is another great example. Um, Omar Mohammed, I would never knock him for the work that he did reporting from Mussel, and he really provided uh, a, a really interesting day-to-day -day insight into what was happening in Mussel. But nobody in Mussel was actually reading that uh, blog because they didn't have access to the internet. And even when they got access to the internet, they were watching... Maslawi TV or listening to Maslawi radio, basically. So in the end, in the last couple of years of his blog, from 2016 to 2018, Omar openly says he redirected the content so that it was relevant to the international community and international audiences. So again, the, it's these types of issues, I think, that the Iraqi media is, is, is sort of coming up against in terms of developing independent platforms that, be, that are relevant to an Iraqi audience. Um, there were, there, were, there, were, there were so many of these examples. Again, when I sat in the newsroom with... Um, there's, a, there's a network for investigative journalists who are very active in Iraq, and they produce some brilliant work as well, actually. Again, mainly for non-Iraqi channels. But, um, and I sat with them, and they were working on a um, report uh, on uh, interviewing children um, in some of the ISIS uh, detention camps, so children of ISIS, um, and they were interviewing them. Um, and they had an issue where they needed to access one of the camps. Um, and um, they basically talked about bribing a security guard on the uh, door of the camp to let them in to interview the children. 
So not only is that completely unprofessional and unethical, it also means they're not actually getting permissions from victims, <laughs> uh, from young victims. So again, while there's some really great content coming out of that, it raises some issues about the process by which that content is created and sort of, you know, questions around news construction um, that really, really need to be dealt with if we're to think about developing a truly, a truly independent um, media landscape that's, that will work to the benefit of the public. Thanks. Um, it's okay, don't worry, actually. It's working. Okay, we'll see if we have time and then we can always play it. Okay, well, I'd like to open it up to um, the audience. So, um, if not, there's loads of videos to play. <laughs> take a few questions at a time if you're happy with that. Um, yeah, sure. Okay, so um, if you could state your name and affiliation, um, and uh, so, sorry, raise your hand again, please. So, okay, if we take you and you and Ina, I'm sorry, I don't know everyone's names, but. Okay. Um, my name's Alana. We recently did some uh, like sort of um, insight stuff and found that news isn't terribly popular. It's kind of what you <coughs> mentioned when you talk about um, satire and comedies being far more interesting. People seem to be quite sick of news. They don't enjoy consuming mm -hmm. it and they don't seek it out particularly. So, would you say that perhaps a major barrier to media is just a lack of? interest or how much of it is consumer you know, demand, is that what needs to shift because if people want you know, to engage in the media, maybe that's the way to do it. Um, yeah. Thanks. Um. Um, my name is Natalie, I work with BBC Arabic and Transparency International on Iraq um, and I don't want to be the cynical voice in the room but I, I feel that you know, there's a lot that needs to be unpacked in terms of the concepts, uh, a lot of the media concepts that, that you bring up and a lot of the voices uh, as well. So I think that to say that Iraq is a democracy of sorts ignores the political structures and their decay and how they've hollowed out and they've become essentially hollow shells um, and how that gives more space for the mafias that control the, the political landscape to control the media landscape. And, and in Iraq, you know, I will give a positive example, but just allow me to sort of uh, put this out there. They use media as leverage, and so, you know, when there's an election coming up, you know, it's a tit-for-tat sort of thing, um, and there's money involved in that, yeah. and it's a huge cartel. Um, but, but the interesting thing is, as well, media in Iraq is multi-layered. There are so many textures to it, but when you do scrape beneath the surface, you do find things. And I, I really wanted to mention a radio station. I know it's not a channel, but it's called Radio Soa. Uh, yeah. uh, radio Soa, Soa is funded by Al Hurra TV, mm -hmm. and it's based in America. But I kid you not, it really does reflect the pluralism that I felt, you know, the examples you offer don't, don't reflect. Um, I felt that I listen to Radio Soa a lot, and it gives up callers, ordinary Iraq is the opportunity to call in and actually raise um, various issues and they also bring in various member officials, various Iraqi officials um, and so you have to read between the lines and I think that's what's really important and so it touches on the first question uh, which I don't feel was, was discussed is what forms of media do Iraqis themselves go to, Who do, you know, what forms of media exist 
uh, and how and to whom do they appeal? I think that's really important because we're, we're almost treating Iraq as though it's a functioning system where, you know, there's a budget that's allocated and it's fairly, you know, it's distributed equally amongst these channels. They're all privately funded channels and they're all very toxic. Um, and so I think that Radio Sala is, is one example, but I do think we need to tread very, very carefully, especially when it comes to talking about uh, academic and educational institutions. A lot of people come into media through the back door, and that's something that the American occupation facilitated. And so you spoke about it, but interestingly, you spoke about people taking off their bylines, and people are anonymizing themselves, and you have it you know, beyond the, the, the realm of the media sector. So I think that's really, it's really important to maybe even try to cover some of the secret channels and net networks, whether it's Telegram, whether it's WhatsApp, whether it's Twitter, uh, whether it's fake accounts, whether it's disruptors seeking to disrupt the, the state narrative. Um, I don't really have a question, but, but that's all I'm going to say. Thanks. Yeah, I have two questions. Thank you for your presentation. Um, one is about, have you looked into the usage of like certain Facebook groups that uh, deliver information? Like I was looking very much into Shafomako. And like the other one, um, which is very, very critical, especially of uh, paramilitary and non-state groups, is uh, Iraqi uh, Spring Media Center. Yeah. But like I also see like that they always like reach their limitations. So for example, whenever they want to do a report on smuggling, they somehow never manage to name a specific group. So it's always like a collective term, like Mishiat, whatever but without really getting the information. I have even like tried contacting them on like, okay, where did this material come from? But there has never been like a reply. So I was wondering to which extent is this like really a fear of, of replying back or like going more into the investigative part. And my second question is more different. Like how was um, speaking about journalist ethics, how was the whole case of Rokhmini being discussed by Iraqi journalists and in terms of like was it ethical or was it ethical? I don't know the case. What was um, the ISIS documents? Ah, uh, right, okay, the New York Times, yeah. Whether, you have whether this has also like yeah, sure. impacted their being of journalistic ethics. Okay. Uh, my, uh, yeah, Ina Rudo, research fellow at King's College. Thanks. Do you want me to go over them? Or? Uh, no, I've got them actually. Um, but I'm going to let you answer the is Iraq a, a democracy question, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are, I, I, I will start because I don't want what I said to cloud anything that Ida says. And I, I mean, I, I stand by uh, running competitive um, elections is one of the cornerstones of democracy is only one of them. There are many others. And so my point really was, um, OK, it's so far along the line. But if we look at all of the other factors that go into a democracy and they're so lacking, given that that is the case, uh, where is it really at? So I, 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 I don't want you to construe what I said as me celebrating Iraqi democracy. Um, but, <laughs> but that's, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to answer all of your questions together in sort of um, some kind of monologue, basically. <laughs> um, so, so, yes. Media consumption in Iraq is a is a is a really tricky um, beast to kind of get to grips with. As I said, I worked on this big project with BBC Media Action last year, um, and we did um, a big piece of polling across twelve <laughs> districts in Iraq um, on media consumption 
and we did a big piece of uh, focus group analysis, 12 different focus groups in Baghdad, Basra, Diyala, Ramadi, Ambar, uh, I'm trying to think there was somewhere else as well, but so it was, it was a comprehensive piece of focus group research. And then um, I also went to Iraq and did some quali qualitative interviews as well um, with key stakeholders. And this was all around consumption. Um, and it, it's all available online, so you're welcome to have a look at it. But just to say that actually television is still the most consumed media in Iraq by far. So people are consuming things on their mobiles and online. Um, but it's television content that they're consuming on their mobiles and online. So very similar to, to sort of other contexts, the appointment to view uh, television watching has gone. Uh, you know, so if you're watching Al-Bashir show, you might be watching a 10-minute clip from Al-Bashir show that someone's posted on Facebook, for example. You're not watching it on YouTube or wherever. You're not watching Wilayat Batikh on Sharqiyya. So you, the, the allegiances to channels has definitely gone. Whereas we did this same piece of research five years ago because it was... Um, uh, donor-funded project, so we produced a baseline piece of research and then an end-of-project piece of research into consumption, consumption. And five years ago, people were allied to channels based on their political allegiances. Um, and at the time, that was very sector ethno-sectarian focused. Whereas now, the, those the, that has changed. Um, and what people are consuming um, is much more uh, based on what their friendship um, or kind of familial groups are also sharing online. So that's, that seems to be dictating consumption habits. Um, but TV is still number one. When we asked people about television, and, and the other big thing is that nobody's reading newspapers anymore in Iraq. So the tradition of reading newspapers in Iraq really seems to have moved on. And we did uh, two, we did different age groups and we did different uh, socioeconomic classes as well. So we did uh, upper and, and lower educated and non-educated. And we did obviously rural and urban as, urban as well. So we really did do a, a kind of good spread, um, both in the polling and in the qual, in the qual research. Um, so, in terms of, so in terms of media, they're, 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 People are consuming very similar content. It's television-led. Um, they are members of Facebook groups and social media groups. And actually, I focus on journalism, so I don't really look at kind of uh, sort of social media content. It's a whole different uh, ball game uh, completely. But yeah, because because my background is journalism, I'm really focusing on on sort of the professionalization of media, basically, um, and what that means in the context of Iraq, rather than sort of where social media might come into that. Radio Sawa does some great work. This is, this is my point, I think. There are, there's some great work coming out of Iraq. Another brilliant example is Al-Ghad Radio in Mosul. Uh, their call-ins are fantastic. Again, they're, they're a radio station based in Mosul. They receive donor funding. They also receive some political funding as well. Um, they have links to Najafi, for example. But they are producing brilliant content. They produced content under the occupation of Mosul um, where um, people could phone up and try and find out where their relatives was, were to give it, they phoned up to give advice on um, areas to avoid because they'd just been hit, for example, by uh, coalition bombing as well as uh, ISIS. Well, so there, there is some really, really interesting content. NASA is doing some interesting content, you know. But all I'm saying is even with some, someone like Radio Sawa is 
we're not by 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 al hurra supporting Radio Sawa. It's not supporting the kind of wider landscape for independent media in Iraq. You see, and this is this is my this is my issue. So while there's some great pockets of of content of innovation um, that really do actually serve a public need, um, with it, it's. It's not. It's not working on a sort of meta level, if you like, and I think that's that's the kind of key thing that I'm trying to get across. And there are, and again, in the recommendations in the report, um, there there are some structural um, areas that can be looked at. I think above and beyond funding independent media, you know, and I you know I talk about regulation. I talk about um, education because um, I do think that is a, that is a key area. Um, yeah, because there are loads of unemployed youth, and I'm from Baghdad myself, yeah. and as a journalist, I'm, re I'm regular in contact with people. Yeah, sure. So people who are engineers, graduates and medical uh, graduates going into journalism who've had no training they've had no skills training um, and you know that there's, there's money coming in from the donors to provide to do capacity building and to provide sort of you know trade the building training academies and you know there's I've heard of three new training academies that are funded all of them by NED actually National Endowment for Democracy um, in Baghdad but but they they cost money. They 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 run for a year or two years, and then the funding dries up and they go again. You know, and it's 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 an issue. You know, it is an issue. That kind of capacity building, both on an academic level and on a on a practitioner level, is an issue. You know, and you're right. How how what 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 can we do when we we're seeing lots of unemployed young people in Iraq as well? And and I think I, as I said before. All of this really struck me as, as as really sort of relevant when you do consider the environment for civil society and some of the kind of initiatives on the ground that were happening. Another really nice initiative that happened when I was there was university students from Baghdad University went and cleaned up Al Rashid Street because they were like, "This is I've got a video of it. I should have put it on actually." But anyway, um, they they literally they were like, "Al Rashid Street is dirty." Got the government services are not providing for us. They're not cleaning up one of the main streets in Baghdad. And all of the students went down with their uh, professors, with the, their teachers, and they swept up the street. And it was, it was, it's brilliant, you know. And you're like, well, if you can do that, <laughs> you know, what can we do here? And I think that's, this was my frustration, I think, when I was there, you know, um, of, of sort of seeing what was failing in the context of, of what, could, what could be. Um, and then actually, so uh, your question on is a major barrier to the media sort of lack of interest in news? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a, this is a global issue. Um, you know, it's n this is not unique to Iraq. Um, I think there's some work to be done on building trust in journalism and in the media. Um, there's a really great initiative launched by Reporters Sans Frontieres called the Journalism Trust Initiative um, that has launched in, in, in Europe and uh, the Global North, but I think next year, their plan Macron is behind it. It's all singing, all dancing, basically. Um, 
But I think next year, the idea is that, the, you know, they're going to roll that out to the global south. And it is very much about, um, it, it's rooted in professionalism, basically. So the way that we can, we can start to rebuild trust in news is by restoring people's faith in accuracy, fact-checking. You know, it's, it's, it's that, basically, um, rather than a kind of kite mark as, as a, yeah, you're a great media organisation and therefore I can trust you. It's really about proving yourself, which I think is, is really important as well. And it's something that I talk about in the paper, actually, um, is, is how we can um, connect actors in the global south who might be interested in these types of initiatives with some of the sort of global initiatives that we're seeing at launch. Uh, so you, you're talking about lack of trust uh, for local media, Iraqi media. I'm curious, uh, how do Iraqis view regional media in Arabic? So Al Jazeera, uh, Al Arabiya, BBC Arabic, and so on and so forth. Do they feel that that is more trustworthy? And all those channels, uh, are they available in Iraq? Are they regulated? And so on and so forth. <laughs> it's a good question. Actually, there's probably a few of us who can answer that question in this room. Um... That's my question as well. <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, I'll say a bit, but this is Ida's uh, talk, so I don't... But I, I've just finished a project that looks uh, explicitly at the pan-Arab channels, so I was looking at Al Jazeera and Al Arabiya, um, amongst others, um, and I, do, I wasn't focusing really on polling, but um, they are the most... Oh, across the Arab world, they, they remain overall the most popular. But that doesn't mean that, um, that people aren't deeply suspicious and that um, they're not diversifying their viewer trends. So there is a, a lot of research by Qatar Northwestern into um, viewer trends, which uh, suggests that um, people still watch them, but they, they pick and choose. So they might watch something and they'll, they'll cross-reference because they have um, limited a faith in the pan-Arabs. And I, I mean, I know Ida can say much more about uh, national uh, media and how it relates to the, the pan-Arabs, so I'll hand it back over. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so yeah. I, th I, I, I think, again, in, in, the, in the focus group research that we did and the polling that we did, there is definitely a shift away from the pan-Arab channels as a source of news. Um, but people are still watching those channels and NBC <laughs> factors very high on that list actually for drama um, and, and, and sort of entertainment and talk shows as well. Um, and, and while that's not news, we can't, we, can't, we can't ignore the political in that as well. And I think uh, you probably are aware that NBC launched an NBC Iraq channel actually a few months ago. Um, but the content of that is, is purely going to be drama. But interestingly actually, I met with a couple of politicians when I was there uh, Maysoon Demeluji was one of them, for example, and she was like, we can't wait, we can't wait for NBC drama to <laughs> NBC Iraq to come. So, you know, they, they, want, they, they do want the content. When I was working for BBC Media Action in Iraq, there was a shift away from BBC Arabic in Iraq. I don't know if you ever came across that, yeah. There was a sense, um, so I used to work in the office with Haddad and kind of people like that uh, in the bureau. Um, and there was, a, there was a sense, it's really interesting actually amongst um, the Iraqi public that um, by not calling uh, ISIS Daesh or uh, by calling them the Islamic State, they were, the BBC were taking a side against the Iraqi people. Um, so when I was there a few times, there were some issues around translations from 
um, from English to Arabic on the website, for example, that had used um, certain terms that you would that follow BBC editorial guidelines in English, but become slightly problematic in the context of Iraq. Another one was militias. Um, so the trans they would uh, when they translated from the English uh, copy on BBC the word militias to militiat in Arabic it suddenly becomes a much stronger connotation in Arabic and again there was a sense there in in Iraq that it was undermining it was when the Hashtashabi was when the PMUs the popular mobilization units were really popular um, there was a sense that it was undermining the credibility of uh, the PMUs and the Hashtashabi so the, there was a there's been a turn away from from BBC Arabic and actually again in in interestingly and again it, it reflects it reflects political relations Deutsche Welle and France 24 are doing great <laughs> you know and this these are new these are new trends these are new phenomena yeah um, and Deutsche Welle I think are, they're putting a lot of money into Arabic content as well actually and they have Bashir show now yeah. and kind of you know so but they play the game you know they, they do on the mayor yeah. and they expose him yeah. to any of the other yeah, channels they do. and that's a very typical Iraqi media practice yeah they that's like a it thing to do. yeah mm. they do yeah uh, Monte Carlo Radio Monte Carlo is also really popular uh, you know, which is a French. Uh, so you know, the, so it's, it's interesting. There's there's been a shift away, I think, from the sort of Al Jazeera's, Arabia's, BBC's to the new players, the new kids on the block, basically. Um, but that's and again, I think that's reflective of of what's happening across the board. You know, people are getting their their news from so many more different sources. Um, you know, we've seen that change in the last five years, let alone the last nineteen years or whatever since two thousand and three. So. Actually, just to add to uh, your uh, comments on the BBC Arabic, something that, that I noted when I, I was looking at sectarian narratives and how they're produced in Arab media was, by, by way of comparison, BBC Arabic was much more prone to identifying groups by sect, um, I mean, certainly earlier on, and uh, without necessarily betraying any side, but, um, but always... Um, but, like yeah, noting the Shia, Shia mosque, or yeah, this yeah. is this is a big issue. But it's it's BBC editorial policy. Yeah, it is, and sometimes yeah. it's an individual thing. They made a documentary about um, Christians and the last Christians in Iraq, and um, a lot of we received a lot of complaints from Kurdish viewers because they thought that we they, we were defaming them because we were present we were presenting the facts and the yeah. and which are that they're seizing territories which don't belong mm -hmm. to them. So the complaints related to that and defamation, yeah, it was sure. so interesting because we had to mobilize our lawyers at BBC yeah. to sort of respond. But yeah, it happens beyond the Sunni. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes, please. Uh, I'm a topic and I'm an Iraqi Kurdish activist. Uh, further to the question which I shared with uh, colleague, uh, and about Al Jazeera and other uh, television stations and media. Uh, information, if I ask the question. Uh, one of my younger brothers, uh, well, it's very popular Al Jazeera because it's external and also because it uh, has meeting both Arabic and English. Mm. So, hourly, I think it is the news uh, that he listens to it in Arabic and then on an hour. He listens to it in English, <laughs> and he's improved his English quite a lot. <laughs> time, he calls me or he asks me. Or he yeah. So it has that advantage, apart from the pure media and communications that's of uh, Al Jazeera. And uh, I'm also a linguist 
and they translate a lot. So the question is simple, really. Are you going to have an Arabic version of this? You'll say a lot Actually, I have to ask this question as well, because I'm going back next week to do another piece of research on gender and media in Iraq. And I'm, I've started connecting with some of the same people that I interviewed for this, and they were like, but we didn't see your first uh, research. You need to translate it into Arabic and send it to us. So, yeah, I don't know if there is a budget. No, there is. So this is... <laughs> <laughs> this is something that um, that yes, I I cannot say I cannot confirm for sure, but I, we have been discussing for some time uh, the need to translate our pieces into Arabic. So uh, you have to watch the space, but uh, hopefully, yeah, you know. good, yeah. Well, sorry, if I translate the summary of this and this event and summary of that, I'm probably sending it to you see if you agree with me. That would be great. Yeah. Or you're happy to do that? Well, maybe I mean, speak to these guys, actually, I don't know. My mother tongue is Kurdish, but main profession was civil engineering, but then I'm also a fellow of the Charter Institute of Linguists, and I practice translation mainly for solidarity with the Iraqi and Kurdish people. So there are no other volunteers, then it seems I have to do. But um, I make sure we say there is a lot of interest when yeah. we translate it, and this is something that we've talked at the centre, and there's been a few reports and papers in the past that have been translated. Yeah, it, it's so more than just talk. We are we are seriously yeah, trying so to see how we can operationalise it. <laughs> so I will definitely uh, break this, and It's a really important point. Yeah. It's yeah. a really important point that we make all of these recommendations to the Iraqi media, policymakers, whatever, and they yeah. don't get to see them. It so, is you know, and it was, uh, yeah, I meant to bring it up because, as I say, this one journalist in particular said to me, well, we haven't seen the first right. report that you did. Have you translated it into Arabic yet? You know, before you come back and interview us for another report. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, by the way, I did it for the previous reports. Uh, and, uh, oh, really? And I think I sent you a copy to LSE, to the center, to S. Safi. This is amazing. Yes. Yeah. 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 Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, well, that's probably quite a good. I mean, actually, if there's any other questions, then. But that's probably quite a good note to wrap up on. If you have any yeah. final things you would want to say, then... No, no. I mean, you know, we talk about media consumption. One of the, I think, just the final thing is that we should try and consume Iraqi media content as well. You know, they are more and more providing translated work. Uh, MNC Saatchi, you guys should do a big campaign to promote Iraqi media um, because actually one of the only ways we can fund some of these platforms is by forming syndicated, you know, sort of alliances or what, you know, mm -hmm. partnerships with with sort of global global north organizations mm -hmm. such as yourself. So that's that's my final. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much again. If you'd like to. <laughs>